From Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome to another edition of Hollywood Unscripted. I'm your host, Scott Talal of the Malibu Film Society. Today, our guest is the CEO of Ace Entertainment, set up in December 2017. Yes, I guess it was. it was. You've been moving steadily through the ranks and developing the YA market. Matt Kaplan. Matt, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. You grew up with two passions. You grew up with football and movies. Football and movies. That's, that's about all I did as a kid. That's a really unusual combination. Maybe not so much in, when you grow up in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's kind of what you see in front of you. Because you did pursue both at Columbia. I did. I actually majored in film and played on the college football team at Columbia. Yeah. Famously the freshman quarterback? I was, yes. It was a great experience. I love being in New York and being able to play football. Well, being in New York, you were able to start interning at United Talent for a while? Yeah. I actually interned at UTA over the summer. I knew this guy, Jeremy Zimmer, who is a wonderful mentor, and he let me push the mail card around. And you did Todd Phillips' company? for a while? I did. Worked for Todd and uh, a guy by the name of Scott Budnick at the time Mm. in their office and they were developing Project X among many other cool things. You also interned for Les Moonves. Yeah, he was the first person to give me a job after I graduated from Columbia, and he allowed me to do digital media, which got Mm -hmm. my foot in the door to producing. It's kind of being in the right place at the right time, because you did transition to full-time just at the point that Interactive was really taking off. Yeah, I really felt excited about the opportunity to dive into digital and interactive. And again, there was such a different time back then. YouTube had just had cat videos and things like that. Right. But CBS was looking to kind of do behind the scenes and start, you know, survivor and get footage out there. Again, at the time, there was no Instagram and stuff like that. So I would cut it and I'd hire all my friends from MIU and Columbia and at USC. And we'd just make these videos for like 50,000 bucks. And you were doing some of those videos. Yeah, it was great. It was truly one of the best experiences of my life. And it taught me a lot in terms of producing in all aspects. You know, these are all wildly different roles. What did you learn in each of them? I guess being at a company as big as CBS when I was 21 years old was a really interesting experience because on one hand, I got to run around and make stuff. And on the other, I was in staff meetings with people twice my age. But you learn a lot from marketing and distribution and really seeing it from all ends of how the business works. So I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. And the CBS gig took you to Lionsgate? Yeah. And then I had to go to Les Moonves and say, I think I'm going to quit. And he laughed, not like he cared that I was leaving, but I wanted to be in movies. That was what I was passionate about. And I felt like I had made enough pieces of digital content for a lifetime. And I was fortunate because Ali Shermer was just moving over to Lionsgate and she was an amazing mentor and boss. She unfortunately passed away a couple years back, but she was a wonderful person. The opportunity there was really interesting. You started as an assistant and moved up to senior VP of production and development, I guess, specializing in the low budget, but also the YA market. Yeah. You know, I learned so much from Joe Drake, who at the time was the president, and now he's actually back, and Ali Shermer, just in terms of how to build a movie and understand it from a financial standpoint and a marketing standpoint. And we were fortunate enough at that time to find The Hunger Games when uh, we just arrived. And so going through that experience from the beginning of building a film of what you know goes on to be such a runaway hit was pretty spectacular. But I also was interested in getting to be more involved as I was at CBS. Mm-hmm. And so 
John Feltheimer and Joe Drake had seen paranormal activity at that time take off. And they saw Saw years earlier take off. And they were all lower budgeted films. So they were looking to have somebody kind of spearhead that division. And I was young and they said, you did all this digital stuff. Why don't you go take a stab at it? So yeah. it was great. And there was no streaming. So <laughs> it was either these movies would find a life and go theatrical and go wide mm-hmm. or they would end up being sent into Walmart. And so it was kind of high stakes, at least emotionally for the filmmakers. But when you empower people to do the best that they can do and take out the anxiety of the studio system on top of you, a lot of good things can happen. That led you into crossing over from development into developing your own. Yeah, I had made a bunch of movies with Jason Blum while I was at Lionsgate. He quickly became a good friend and mentor. Blumhouse was not what Blumhouse is today at that time. So Jason just said, come on over, like, let's go make a bunch of these movies together. And so I felt like it was the right time to go back to now producing movies as opposed to being inside of the studio system. And that was chapter one. Yeah, that was called chapter one. And Jason and I, I think, made six movies, seven movies in the course of about two years together. And I had invaluable lessons learned and relationships made in that process. And then DreamWorks came knocking? Yeah, I got a call, actually, from Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I've known a long time, and he said, there's this new company, Awesomeness, and I'm going to be growing it, and you got to go check it out. So I had a meeting with the founder, a guy by the name of Brian Robbins, who has just now become one of my best friends. And Brian kind of explained to me what he wanted to do with the company, and they were trying to focus on Gen Z and young adult content. And, you know, he had already started to really grow the YouTube side of the business, but they wanted to expand into film and television and really grow with a focus on that demographic. Is this something that you knew was going to develop, that this audience was different than previous generations? I would say I felt as if when I was at Lionsgate, there was a lack of desire to be making teen movies. And I, as I, when I was a kid, John Hughes was such an integral part of my life in watching all those movies. But we weren't allowed to make those movies because they didn't think they would work theatrically for the most part. Right. And so as streaming started to get more popular, what I kind of felt was like, oh, there's now an opportunity to go back to make smartly priced films that are targeted because no one was really doing it. And so with the blessing of Katzenberg and Brian Robbins, we went off and started making a bunch of YA movies. Brian then left and eventually brought you in for Ace Entertainment, I understand. Yeah, the company Awesomeness sold twice in the span of a couple years. So once it had sold to Comcast, I think Brian and I had looked around and felt like, what was the next chapter going to be? He went inside to go run Paramount Players at the time, and he asked me if I wanted to come with him. And we set up a production company that I took a bunch of executives who had worked me all the way dating back from Lionsgate, Mm. about 10 people. And so now we are based out of and have a deal with Paramount. You're running your own shop on the Paramount lot. Yeah. Pinch me time? (laughs) Totally. We work out of the DeMille building. It's pretty awesome. All in a very short period of time. I mean, what's that like? To be able to do something in the creative space and make a living out of it with people that you love and respect is a pretty amazing job. What is it that you think makes the Gen Z young adult audience different today than previous generations? I'd say that with the rise of social media, kids see everything faster than they ever had. There's something beautiful about that because it's now globally we're able to share in a way Mm -hmm. that we never were before. And so a piece of content or an idea that kids feel passionately about that can really go viral very quickly. At least we've seen it on our films and everything we do at Ace is focused on that demographic. And so I think we make a movie like To All the Boys I Loved Before. And I felt very passionate about trying to find and tell stories that I wouldn't usually 
be able to tell, mm -hmm. but because I think the kids are looking for it and can rally behind the original voices in a way that I don't think that's really ever worked in the traditional theatrical model. To All the Boys was developed specifically for Netflix? No, so I called the author, I just cold called her, Jenny Han, and I loved her book and I had read it a couple years back and it was kind of not moving. And I just said, look, I think it's a really important time to make this movie about a Korean American girl going through this teenage rom-com kind of experience. And the books were already pretty successful and she gave me her blessing and so I optioned it, developed the script for about a year and a half with an amazing playwright named Sofia Alvarez. And then we just started putting it together and you know, then you go through that casting process and Noah Centineo walks in the door and Lana Condor come and it was almost immediate. Like these two kids just had chemistry like I have never seen and it just felt like an old-fashioned movie star and a leading lady then everyone in the room unanimously was like, well, we figured this out. It sounds like that's got to be a big part of the job. It's not like you can pick up the phone and call an A-list talent with the budgets that you've got. You have to develop your own talent. Talk to us about that process. That was a big priority dating back from when I worked at Awesomeness and at Ace is that we've got to build stars and I think you can now do that on your own because the platform and these streaming platforms can bring a person who's completely out of obscurity and the world can meet them. But again, we were fortunate to identify someone like Noah and so immediately after To All the Boys, we said this is the guy and, and we put him in another movie called The Perfect Date that we sold to Netflix and again, we were making these out of the system and then Netflix was acquiring them and it was a great moment to help grow talent. And now you've got To All the Boys too. Yeah, it just came out. We're very fortunate that Netflix has been an amazing partner to us and they've really supported the films and just immediately as soon as the first one came out, they said, let's make the rest of these books. And so we finished shooting the second and the third back to back. We're still working on editing the third film, but the second one is socially the most discussed film so far, I, I believe, on Netflix. How do you break through the clutter? It's a mixed blessing right now. There's such a demand for content, but there's so much content that it's increasingly difficult to get noticed. Again, it takes a long time to get a script to where you're happy with it. But the one thing that we always try to focus on is why is this modern? Why is this story need to be told today? Times change. Kids are way more aware of what's out there. And I don't think you can fake it. I don't think you can just say, okay, this is an action thriller and you can get an opening weekend and that'll be that. You can see it in the streaming services. If you make a good movie, it has a lot more life and more legs. What is it about a property that grabs you? What are you looking for? I just think it always goes back to unique voices. We don't particularly look at one genre. At Ace, we try to always make things for young people, so thinking of it 13 to 35. But again, rom-coms, thrillers, it really is about what is unique about each story. Do you feel like there's any kind of formula that helps you succeed? No, I don't think there's a formula. I think that surrounding yourself with really talented people and allowing smarter minds than yours to find the light. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've been fortunate. Again, I spend my day meeting with new young writers, directors, authors. And so oftentimes I tell my team, like, we just need to listen to what they're saying and stop deciding what we want to do. And oftentimes that leads you to a better place. How do you find those people? I mean, not just the people in front of the camera, but the writers, the directors, above and below the line. It's kind of a family business, man. At least for us, what ends up happening is you meet people through other people, right? Obviously there's the agents and the managers that are in our business, but finding an amazing playwright like Sofia Alvarez, who came mm -hmm. and wrote this, led us to another amazing playwright who ended up doing two more projects for us. If that's just part of the job, you just do the work. 
One of the industry trades a few years ago identified you with a bunch of others as the rising stars at that point under 35. Uh (laughs) As you mature in this business, how do you stay connected to that younger audience? My favorite part of the job actually is when you make a movie and you put it in a test screening environment and you get 300 young people in an audience and you get their feedback. And I think there's something just so special about that, that you actually get honest, raw feedback from your audience. And so I think we're constantly trying to test our movies. And again, dating back to when we were at Awesomeness, having that social interaction and paying attention to Instagram, to YouTube, and now TikTok, and understanding what's working and why, and what's getting engagement and why, even the way you tag a video. I think it was very important for us back then to try to think about that. And we'd have staff meetings talking about, should that impact our movies? How is that going to evolve into the film? And so even in To All the Boys 2, there's a scene that we flash back to a moment from To All the Boys 1, and it's when they're in the hot tub together and they have their first kiss. But we integrated a TikTok like filter over the scene in the second movie to make it a little bit more poppy. And I think it's those kinds of things that you pay attention to that kids will ultimately feel in the DNA of what you create. How are you doing your testing? There's the traditional process and then kind of the way we used to do it back at Awesomeness. So, you know, we'll hire Screen Engine and these companies that really are focused on focus testing on any given product. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the sheer, like, we have a number of people who work at the company who are focused on truly, like, spending time on socials and and trying to understand engagement. You get a lot of feedback now that these apps are sharing with you, and I think that can be really helpful. Sounds like in college you really wanted just to make films. Have your priorities changed as you have climbed up the ranks in the business? I don't know that my priorities have changed. I think ultimately we all want to make and create great content now. We have the freedom to create content in general, the length and the type of story. Is this an hour and a half or two hours or is this mm-hmm. 10 episodes? Yeah. I'm not precious about it as long as we're working with filmmakers and writers that we love. And you're doing both types. You're doing the episodic as well. Yeah, I'm very excited. We're actually about to go shoot a show for Quibi that we start in April called Florida Man. And it's the true headlines out of Florida, but fake stories that we right. made up. So it, yeah. it should be kind of it's kind of cool. And what's the length on those? <laughs> those are all 10-minute episodes, and it's an anthology, so we're shooting 12 of them. Any challenge in getting a story told in 10 minutes? No, I think it's been a great new experience for our company. We've never done it before, but again, Jeffrey Katzenberg is a pretty incredible guy, and I feel like it's just so inspiring to see what he's done in such a short period of time, and they launch, I believe, in April. So mm. excited to be a part of that. We talked a little bit earlier about finding talent. What are the qualities that you're looking for? What really makes you latch on to someone when you're considering a hire? Authenticity, probably. Are you looking for different things for different roles? No, I think for us, again, if you're going to be an executive or producer, it's just passion for what we do. I love what I do, and I think everybody at our company really cares. And so I don't care if it's as small as coming in for ADR for the movie or if it's going over dialogue in the script. Everybody at our company is so passionate about what we're doing that leads into the culture. Where do you see this going for you? To be honest, I'm kind of where I want to be. I I hope that I can continue growing it. I love making movies. I love making TV shows. I think we're going to start to do some more branded content because as commercials are obviously going away, how we integrate that into our movies and shows I think is an interesting time for that. At Ace, we are going to continue to try to grow different revenue streams and figure out how to evolve. And again, this is such a wild time in our business. I think you're going to see companies continue to merge together and then ultimately break apart. And I think when that's happening as a producer, we just look for the right opportunities without losing sight of what we believe the company is trying to do. We like to do everything in-house before we take it to market for no other reason than gives everyone the best opportunity to stay true to what we create. 
And if you do that well and you work with even sponsors in that situation, it's a pretty streamlined process. To me, it seems like it's got to be challenging just because there's a new app, there's a new TikTok, there's a new Snapchat, there's a new whatever every year. How do you stay on top of that? And how do you know which one is going to gain traction and which ones to just kind of let them go by? There's always going to be a new app, but at least at Ace, we have people truly focused on that social media and creating content for the different apps as they pop up as a priority for us. We've leaned in and I've learned a lot along the way. Well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun, but what's the hardest part of your job? <laughs> and how do you deal with everything? It? It's a huge priority for us and a responsibility when you're making content for young people to believe in the stories you're telling and to make sure that you deliver on that promise that if you come watch our movies, that they're always going to be something special about them that stands out that's specifically targeted for them and making sure you're responsible and how that story gets told is important. Given the responsibility you feel towards that audience, what do you pass on? I think truly in the DNA of what stories I like to make and tell, positive stories. Dark, like thriller, horror, fine, but uplifting. So when you leave the theater, I hope that there was something about the character's journey that you connect with and it brightens your day a little bit. Do you see a heavier push into theatrical? Yeah, I think that's kind of the big conversation right now internally at the company is how we continue to push and what makes theatrical and what makes a streaming movie, right? Like that's a big hot button topic is how do you assess what is what? A lot of that, in my opinion, has to do with price. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're smart about the price you make the content for and it turns out great and it's testing well and the audience is really into it, then you got to work with the marketing team to make sure that they feel like they have a vision for how to sell it. Because even for To All the Boys, for the second and the third, would we have made more money going theatrical now that it became such a phenomenon. High School Musical 3, I believe it was, made $150 million at the box office. Could we have done that? I'm not sure. But again, Netflix has been an incredible partner. And so as a filmmaker, I'm just happy that a lot of people saw the movie. In the development process, working on the creative aspects of a specific property, knowing how that particular property is going to be consumed has got to be a big driver because a room full of people is going to react differently than a room with two or three or four people. Yeah, I think comedy and horror are such fun movies to watch in a big group in a theater, just because you can feel that tension or that laughter. Romance, drama, is that the same? I'm not quite sure. But it's a big focus for us to make sure that the concepts that we're telling and the relatability of that concept, and even literally down to the title, mm -hmm. is clear so that if, with all the noise, as you mentioned, there's a lot of choice. And so the more you can be clear about your message of what the movie is and what the tone is, I think that's a big deal. Hi, this is Jenny Curtis, producer of Hollywood Unscripted. We hope this show is igniting your passion as much as it is ours. Please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It really does matter as we bring you more inspiring conversations with the filmmakers you admire. Now, back to the show. You've done so much. What really stands out? What are your favorite stories? One thing around P.S. I Still Love You that I take so much pride in is that the cinematographer from the first film is one of my best friends, a guy by the name of Michael Feminari. And we've made, I don't know, five movies together or something now. And to be able to kind of grow with people in this business is just incredible. And so Michael, for example, got to be bumped up to be the director of To All the Boys 2 and 3. 
And to just watch growth like that in someone was such a fun experience to go through. And again, there's such a shorthand when you work with someone over and over and over again. It was thrilling for, I think, all of us, even for the actors, to be able to work with him since they had already known him for a year before. Finding stars like that and to be able to watch them kind of grow, even with their actors, watching what has happened to Noah Centineo and Lana Condor and see them stay so true to themselves. And the fame has obviously gotten crazy. They think they went from like 100,000 followers to 20 million or something insane. And how have they dealt with that? They've both been incredible. I got to tell you, they have gotten more focused, almost kinder. You hear these stories about young people kind of just coming to set late or not caring or, you know, acting crazy. And these two were the exact opposite. They just couldn't be sweeter. And they were the true leaders on set every day. And I think sky's the limit for both of them. When you have selected newcomers, because they are newcomers, you don't really know. It's always a gamble. Have there been occasions where it just hasn't worked out? And how have you dealt with that? I think helping grow people's careers, especially off of social media, Mm -hmm. has been kind of a challenge. Taking a kid who's really popular on TikTok and finding the rhythms of what they're great at. But we had a really positive experience, for example, with a movie that I made a couple years ago called Before I Fall. Rai Russo Young was the director, and she's scary talented. And we put a kid by the name of Kean Lolly in one of the leading roles, and he was really popular on YouTube and on social media. But again, like if you stick this guy Kean with Rai, they found a rhythm, and he's incredible in the movie. And we found something that felt true to him, and it wasn't too big of a stretch. And I think, as we've seen, he's really grown into a much better actor. Jenny, I'm just going to jump in really quick. Jenny's our producer. I am the producer. I love the movies, specifically to all the boys I love. They're so bright and happy. By the way, the style of the movie, I remember I got up to the offices in pre-production. I looked around and I go, I don't know. There's something not special yet about our production design and our costume design. And this was dating back to the first film. And I looked at the director and, and the whole team and I said, we got to keep pushing this. I want you to be able to like pass by the screen and know, oh, that's just that movie. And Michael Feminari, who was the cinematographer at the time, presented us with an Amelie meets a Wes Anderson-y vibe. And I was just like, whoa, there it is. And immediately it felt like what Jenny's books were, what they read like. And then I called Jenny and I said, I think you got to fly out to Vancouver because I am not the person who's supposed to be picking this wardrobe. <laughs> and I think she was able to really capture what in her head and in how she describes it in the books, Laura Jean's character would dress. And so there's a lot of specificity and time that went into designing this particular film. So Jenny came out to work with your wardrobe team or did yeah, she specifically? No, she, she came and, and helped work with the wardrobe team on the film to really capture Laura Jean's essence. And I think that's, as you see in the billboards and the trailer, like in all of her choices and the way her hair is, it got very specific. Very specific, yeah. yeah. Did Jenny get to stay on set then and was she involved in other feedback? Totally. You know, it became a family very quickly. I think everyone involved in this film from Sofia Alvarez, the screen writer to our entire crew, I think everyone really loved each other. And so there was no voice that was not heard. I think it was pretty great. You seem to have a lot of women in the principal creative roles on this project. How important was that? I think it's wildly important. I have an executive who's worked at the company for 10 years with me, all the way back from Lionsgate. Robin Marshall has been one of my best friends and collaborators. And so she's been wildly impactful into the who we pick to bring into the family. It's always been a priority because a lot of the movies that we make have female leads. And so trying to surround yourself with strong women who have unique voices is a top priority. On the third, To All the Boys I Love Before, that will come out either early next year or later this year, 
Fia Alvarez, our original screenwriter, wasn't able to continue because she had a child and she wasn't up for the task to take on another script that had to be written in three months. And Katie Lovejoy has written the third movie and just did such a brilliant job. She's incredible. And now we actually have a new movie with her that we're going to be working on called Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight. So on average, how many movies are you juggling at one time? (laughs) We make about six movies a year and about four or five TV shows. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Do you get any sleep? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, though. I'm young. I'll, I'll sleep another time. Do you feel that you are going to stay with young adult, or do you see over time growing into other areas? You know, it's funny. Our office is on the Paramount lot, and there's a lot of history there. And I look around, and I feel like there's a lot of amazing producers who I've admired my whole life. And most of them have grown into these mega producers making, you know, $200 million movies. And the truth is everyone at the company is under 35. And so I kind of look around and said, why are we chasing what everyone else is chasing? And so I found that I've always gone after areas and lanes that felt open. And again, I enjoy working with young people. So I do see a staying and growing ace in the young adult market. I don't know how long that'll be. But right now I really like our lane and I like our chances to continue to grow in this lane. So that's the focus. Very cool. Can you talk about what you're most excited about coming up next? We have season two of Are You Afraid of the Dark for Nickelodeon that we're really pumped about. So we'll start shooting that in May of this year, which will come out in the fall. There's a project by the name of Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between. It's about two kids, a boy and a girl, high school, about to go off to college, and they had agreed to not go to college with a partner. And so the boy and the girl decide to go and do all of their firsts the night before they leave. So they go on where they first kissed, where they went on the first date. And the script just came out incredibly, and we're excited to go into that. Is that one based on a book? Yeah, Jennifer E. Smith. So most of what you do, is it based on books or other properties? Yeah, it's awesome to adapt something that has source material, but not always. There's a movie we're hoping to make later this year for Paramount called Runaway with Justin Schulman, two of my good buddies who, who created Catfish, actually. And it was a true story. I, I woke up at four in the morning from a text message because they live in New York. And they're like, we got to go buy the rights to this. About a 12-year-old kid who told his mom, I'm going to dad's. And he told dad, I'm going to mom's. And they had just separated the parents, so he was upset about it. And the kid took their credit card and flew to Bali. Oh <laughs> and it became like Home Alone meets like Catch Me If You Can. And we just got an incredible script written about that and got the kids' life rights and the whole thing. So we're going to hopefully make that later in the year. When you get life rights for someone, like, is he then involved in the process? (laughs) We FaceTime with him and his mom sometimes, but no, they haven't really been involved in the development phase. So since your audience is young adult, do you feel a responsibility with the messages of your films or is it the other way around where the audience is telling you what they want and you're giving it to them? We try to learn and listen to what's going on in pop culture. You know, I used to watch as a kid, Jeffrey Katzenberg, I was friends with his son, David, and, and Jeffrey would never stop reading. It'd be, you know, the New York Times directly into Time Magazine. And so I think if you stay close to pop culture, what's really happening, then you have a chance to kind of develop your projects in the right direction. I'm definitely not the one choosing. I'm just trying to be a good listener. So then how does that affect the way you develop your films? 
something that I really connected with but wanted to show in a different way, which we did in the script phase, was there's a lot of voiceover and exposition to get out because you have to explain how the character's feeling. And I think young people especially are so in their head, especially nowadays, like you have social media and like, you know, someone's having a party and you're not invited and how much that would probably hurt a kid. So we said, how do we do that in a way that feels unique? And as silly as it sounds, I remember thinking back to that movie Drop Dead Fred from when I was a kid and this imaginary friend comes out. So we said, well, what if Laura Jean and To All the Boys actually has these guys in her room and she's talking to them and so that it's almost like we're getting her anxieties out but you get to watch the scene but of course they're not there so i think those kind of fun devices can often be a fun extra element to add to the film so how much of the film did you develop new scenes for versus how much did you pull from the book we tried to stay true to the book and of course not every scene in the book can make it to the film in either scenario but we took creative license in aesthetic moments and i think in some of laura jean's anxieties in terms of how we visually show them but other than that like we try our hardest because again credit to jenny han she wrote books that were beloved are you at all surprised to see how popular your content is with even demographics that we in the industry can refer to sometimes as 65 to just this side of dead. <laughs> it's all over the board. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of got a lot of firsthand experience in my life from, from friends and people around me that were on like those CW shows. And you'd always think they were like a 12-year-old kid watching it. And in reality, it was like a 35-year-old or 40-year-old mom of two. And so I think there has been something fun to watch of the reaction that it has kind of brought people back. Because I think, again, as I said, like we went through a 10, 15-year period where these movies weren't getting made. And so a lot of people in the 30s and their 40s still remember those John Hughes movies. Mm -hmm. And it's still fun to watch. Any surprises along the way? Of course. Like I mean, what? <laughs> everything. I think to all the boys was a surprise. I think, of course, we were passionate about what we were making, and I loved the book, and I loved the idea of telling a Korean-American girl's story as she was going through this fun adventure. But did I think it was going to become what it has now become? I had no idea. Can you spill any secrets about three? I'll say that I think... We really wanted to focus in the third movie on Laura Jean and her growth. She stumbled into the situation because her sister sent out the love letters in the first one and she had to deal with it. In the second one, she had to kind of deal with her past, her present, and the anxieties about her future. And in the third movie, it's about what do you want? And I think we all kind of start to grow up and make choices and then you got to figure out yourself. So we really wanted to focus on Laura Jean, her needs, and her discovering herself in a way that was not just about the boys. Do you learn from your movies? <laughs> I think I learn how to become a better filmmaker each movie we make. I think, God, I made some really bad decisions early on in my career. But I take a lot of pride in trying to find great mentors and learn from our mistakes. And every time we make a movie or develop a script, I think afterwards we have a post-mortem to understand why we think that character connected or what choices would we have made differently. And, and then it's like, listen to your audience. It's really fun to be able to have made the second to all the boys and to see some of the feedback. And most of it is positive, but the parts that aren't positive, I want to deliver on that for the fans. I think it's a huge responsibility for all of us that we want to do right by you know these Uber fans. Thank you, Jenny, for joining us today and matt thank you so much for coming in i appreciate you guys having me thank you thanks hollywood unscripted is created by kurt co media and presented in cooperation with the malibu film society this episode was hosted by scott talal with guest matt kaplan additional guest jenny curtis produced and edited by jenny curtis sound engineering by michael kennedy the executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast for more conversations with top industry professionals discussing the entertainment you love. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.